0: Welcome back to The Right Turn, your one-stop shop for all things fiction writing. I'm your host, author Jordan M. Griffin, and today we'll be talking about a really fun topic for me and my writing personally, revisions, remakes, and redos, the ethics and market of adaptations. You've seen them everywhere from Disney movies to superheroes, video games, and novels. One thing is certain in every market, people love new twists on tales they're already familiar with. In this talk, we'll be going over what constitutes a fair adaptation that you could do without running into copyright laws, what makes a remake worth watching, and what niche these types of stories fill in the larger market. Now, a disclaimer, I am not a copyright lawyer. This is not necessarily my area of expertise. I can only tell you the things that I know. So if you have any further questions after this talk, I highly encourage you to research on your own or to get in contact with a copyright lawyer because they do exist and they know a lot about this topic. But first, let's start by defining our terms. So an adaptation for our purposes here is any form of a work that exists as a change from another already existing work. So for example, many of you are probably familiar with Disney's Lion King, either the 1994 animation or the more recent live-action remake, or CGI remake, since they didn't actually get lions to do anything. But did you know that Disney's The Lion King is actually the Shakespeare play Hamlet, with all the characters replaced with lions? If you don't believe me, go look up the plotline of Hamlet. There is a, a prince whose father is killed by his uncle, and then the spirit of his father shows up and says he must avenge him and uh, right what has been wronged. Where Hamlet is a tragedy, however, The Lion King is a story about conquering past wrongs and trusting that you have the courage and strength to face your responsibilities. So how is it that Disney is able to write a story that is almost point for point Shakespeare's work? Did they pay his foundation a bunch of money to get access to the rights? Well, while Disney is a massive corporation and does have the ability to do that, they didn't have to. Shakespeare's works are what we call in the public domain. This means that the ownership of the copyright either expired and no one renewed it, or in this case, it never existed in the first place. Therefore, the works become the property of the public. The public is allowed to use them to adapt them in whatever way they see fit. This is why you see so many renditions of Shakespeare popping up from local theater companies to the 2011 movie *Nomeo and Juliet, right, which is a remake of Romeo and Juliet. Now, if you, like me, are thinking of all the writing possibilities that come with this information, then fantastic. We'll get to that in a little bit. Before we do, I want to give a word of caution. Once someone takes something, even if it's based upon a public domain work and transforms it, then they own that transformed intellectual property. So Marvel's Thor, for example, is based upon the Norse god of the same name. Thor is technically part of the public domain because he exists in Norse religion and no one owns the Norse religion. But Thor, as he's depicted in the Marvel movies with the red cape and all of his personality traits, is not. That's owned by Marvel. So don't think you can start sticking Marvel's Thor in a play you're writing and start charging money for it. Instead, you'll have to go back to the original source material and take Thor as he's portrayed in the original Norse myths and then go from there. This brings me to a small tangent when I will eventually make a full podcast episode for, but that I wanna mention here. Nonfiction or history is a great story inspiration. If there's a historical figure that you're interested in or a historical event or scientific discovery, you can absolutely use those things to inspire a work of fiction. No one owns history, right? I for one know that I would definitely read a sci-fi version of the JFK assassination or a high fantasy epic based upon Aztec history. The science for the zombies in The Last of Us is actually based off of a real-life fungus called the Cordyceps fungus, which really does turn insects into zombie-like creatures before sprouting, fruiting bodies from their heads and joints and wherever else it can get out. It is gnarly stuff, and The Last of Us made really, really good use of that. The point is, drawing inspiration from anywhere you can get it is awesome, and that includes works in the public's domain. And don't think that choosing a story that people already know the ending to will stop them from enjoying your tale. Humans have been telling and retelling the same stories for as long as they've been able to harness speech. Not only do most people enjoy a familiar story, they love to see how that story they're expecting gets turned upside down and dropped on its head. Most people have heard of Wicked by Gregory Maguire, which was later turned into a hit Broadway play. But if you haven't, it's the story of the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz. Through her eyes and in this story, the audience is given an entirely different perspective on the events of Dorothy and the Yellow Brick Road. We get to see a society plagued by prejudice and a woman struggles to be seen and understood within that society. It's a completely original take, as McGuire gives the main character her own backstory, her own personality, and life that was not present in The Wizard of Oz. But it also would not be possible without The Wizard of Oz existing first. So this is a great example of a successful work that was taken from something that was in the public domain. Gregory Maguire, in fact, has made quite a few novels out of public domain works. His Confessions of an Ugly Stepsister follows much the same pattern as Wicked, taking a character who was portrayed as a villain in her original work and giving her a story, if not a small bit of redemption. Another example you may have heard of is The Divine Comedy by Dante. The first part of this poem, the Inferno, what we often call Dante's Inferno, is the story of a man traveling through the different layers of hell. He encounters all manners of creature from the Bible, as well as figures from literature, such as Virgil and Ulysses. The classical work, which dates back to the 1300s, is really just Bible fan fiction. It's a story that was made from the popular religion at the time. Okay, it's a lot more than that, but you get the point. The idea of using characters from mythology or religion or other well-known works has been around much, much longer than one may think. Now, as you sit there thinking of the next Hansel and Gretel adaptation, I would like to speak a moment about audience. It is important to note that the audience we write for now is a very different one than may have originally held the work, and that's okay. Unless you're dealing with a situation where you need to be historically accurate, like you're writing nonfiction, or you're dealing with a work that is extremely culturally sensitive, in which case I encourage you to be from or understand the culture that is around that work, then you're free to make creative choices with the work as you see fit. Aside from the exceptions I just mentioned, you do not have to stick to any plotline, character sketch, concept, or portrayal that does not work with the story you're trying to tell. We wouldn't have basically every Disney movie if that was the case. You know the story of Cinderella? Yeah, in the original fairy tale, the stepsisters cut off their toes to try to make the shoes fit. In The Little Mermaid, Ariel sews her feet together in an excruciating attempt to get back to the water before she eventually turns into seafoam. Story not happily ever after, right? But Disney was not trying to make those harrowing dark tales of Hans Christian Andersen's era. Which is fine, because that leaves the door open for someone like Guillermo del Toro to do just that, as he has with his beautiful and inspired and dark Pinocchio remake. Old fairy tales tend to have the message of, shut up, get back in line, accept what's been given to you, or else. We, in our modern society, obviously don't agree with that any longer. So it is perfectly acceptable for Disney to make a story with the morals that were acceptable at the time and morals that they wanted people to have at the time. Now, Disney has its own issues, so I'm not saying that I agree with all of Disney's morals and what they stand for. I don't. What I am saying is that it is perfectly okay to know what you want the story to say and to change the pieces that were saying something else at a different time. In that same vein, it is important to ensure that the stories we tell are still relevant. There should be something, if not many things, that are different about them so they are fresh enough for this new audience. The amount of hatred that Disney's remakes of all their live-action movies get is evidence enough that when a remake doesn't have heart, when the makers don't necessarily understand why something is being remade, it can fall flat. Now, contrast that with Disney's Maleficent, right? The story of the villain from Sleeping Beauty, which was incredibly inspired and heartfelt and set off a whole trend of villain redemption stories, even though I think some of those, Cruella included, did not need to be made. Dog Killed My Mother is not a justification for kidnapping and intending to skin puppies no matter what that movie wants me to believe. Just know what you're making and why you're making it. If you have an adaptation of a Greek myth, for example, go for it. Even if someone else has already done that exact same myth, I encourage you to tell the story you've been wanting to share. We all have our own perspective, our own way of seeing these familiar tales, and I think the more stories that exist in this world from the more perspectives, the better. If you're wondering if something you want to work on is in the public domain, it's probably simplest to just Google is story name in the public domain. The answer will come right up. Now, I haven't really found a good catalog of works in the public domain that is as expansive as I would like it, but I'll insert a link in the description of 100 well-known public domain works that you should be able to scroll through if you're looking for one to get started. This is kind of where we get Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, right? All of those different adaptations of these books that we know and love. So once you've found the work you want to make, how do you go about remaking it or adapting it? Well, they're two different words, really. A remake is taking a work and redoing it in the same form and medium it was first published in. So if someone did a sci-fi play of Romeo and Juliet, assuming that the plot remains mostly the same, that would be a remake. It's the same story in the same medium, right? Same plot on a stage. If, however, someone made a sci-fi novel of Romeo and Juliet, Now that would be an adaptation. You've changed the medium in which the work is absorbed. Another way to achieve adaptation is to change the form of the work. So imagine Romeo and Juliet, but now the play is from Tybalt's perspective or Mercutio's. You would see a whole different world than the original characters did. Even though the medium hasn't changed, it's still on a a stage, the form has changed. The story is coming to us from a completely different lens, and so it will contain different scenes, different plots. We will understand it emotionally a completely different way. What, for example, might Tybalt be doing in all the time he is not on stage in the original? Those would be scenes that would be explored here, and that would turn into a whole new story by itself. This is a great way to get started, by the way. If you look at a story and ask yourself, what does this character have to say about the way things happened? I usually find myself wondering such a thing about the minor sidekick type characters. I find myself drawn to them. Now, I write very often in this revisionist adaptation vein. My first semester in my MFA program, I wrote four complete short stories surrounding Irish fairy tales. I attempted to write a fifth. It turned into something more like I would make a novel eventually, Um, but four complete short stories looking at modernizing, or redoing Irish fairy tales. In one, a woman who finds a changeling on her doorstep does not abandon him. She takes him in and shows him kindness, and when she discovers his fae heritage, she finds her own son, then takes both boys in as her own. I made this deliberately in response to the traditional Irish lore, which is kill the changelings, leave them in the forest if you have to, right, get rid of them. For the ancient Celts, a people who lived fiercely and died often, the burden of a mouth to feed which they didn't consider human was an unbearable one. For me, in my modern understanding, the connections between a changeling and what we know to be signs and symptoms of autism are unmistakable. And so I crafted my story surrounding the idea that we all, no matter how we may present in the world, deserve love and understanding. The next story I wrote tackled uh, the tale of the puka. By Lady Jane Wilde, for those of you who know her. Um, she's Oscar Wilde's mother. So that story follows a fairy creature called the puka and his mischievous deeds surrounding a group of millers in a very small village. The original story is told from the point of view of a little boy who interacts with the puka and is rewarded for his kindness. It's a do-good-get-good good type of message. When I looked at adapting that story, I wondered what the things might look like from the puka's point of view. Right, he is technically not human. He's a fae creature, and not only that, he's a shapeshifter, and he is long-lived. So fae tend to live much longer lives than humans do. So I wondered what he would see when he looked at the situation that he came upon. What ended up happening is this creature, who was disgusted by the dismal dregs of humanity that were around him, he was set on showing those people. The wickedness of their ways until a small boy came and reminded him that there was still good among those humans. There are still those who care about strangers, who are willing to do the right thing, even when it wasn't easy." Another story which you can actually check out from Night Picnic Press um, is about Maeve, the warrior goddess. If you haven't heard of Night Picnic Press, I highly recommend them. They are a gorgeous publication of short stories specializing in speculative fiction, And I consistently get enamored whenever I read the things that they publish. Um, I'll put the link to the edition my story is featured in. Obviously, you do not have to go and buy it. I am not sponsored by them. It's just something that I'm really proud of. And I really like the work that they do. They actually do um, work in both English and in Russian. Anyway, that story that I wrote was about how gods fade from memory as time marches on. It's a reflective piece about a once great warrior allowing themselves to fade away, to turn from the land they once ruled and allow anonymity to take them. It looks at what might happen to immortal creatures when they are faced with this unceasing march of time. The point that those three different adaptations make is that there is no shortage of ways to do a remake. You can choose a character whose point of view hasn't been explored yet, You can change the genre, and ask yourself, what would happen if you took this character and dropped them in the modern day? You can change, you know, what happens if Thor existed in the Wild West? Whatever you choose to do, reach far, reach deep, and don't be afraid to tell the story you're bursting to tell. Let's pivot now to the marketability of adaptations. I've heard some people express fear that redoing a work would make it harder to market, either to get it published as a short story or to get a novel picked up or to have a play produced. Now, unless you're running into a copyright problem, which would happen if you tried to redo a work not in the public domain without prior written consent from the rights holder, that could not be farther from the truth. Adaptations are a great marketing opportunity. For those who don't know, when you pitch a book to an agent or an editor, they will often ask you for comparables. Basically, what books exist in the world that are similar to yours? They'll want between two and three of those so they can kind of get an idea of where your book fits in the market. Um, And a lot of times the agent will judge your book based on the comps that you give. Well, if you have an adaptation, half your work is done for you, right? A really easy comp if you have an adaptation is just to say exactly what it is. This is a high fantasy retelling of The War of the Roses, which is Game of Thrones. Or, this is a revisionist take on Lucifer's role in the Angel War. That's Paradise Lost. There are no shortage of ways to pitch a remake, and I must admit that most of the times I've heard people say, oh, this is a sci-fi version of such and such, or oh, this is a revisionist version of such and such. I've been very intrigued, not only to see how they treat the source material and the ways that they draw the parallels between the source material and the modern day, but also just to see their own spin as a writer. How do they imagine these characters? How do they draw the world? Not only that, but it is best to be honest about what you have. I mean, first, it's a great marketing tactic, like we just said. And second, if you have an adaptation, that is not something that is going to stay hidden. There will be someone somewhere who will know the work that you're redoing. Embrace it. Make it part of the process so that any changes you make become a part of the story, rather than just something you stumble onto accidentally, or worse, something that you try to hide. Now, I know I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention it again. Remakes are different than plagiarism, but I still feel the need to talk about that briefly here. When we talk about adaptations and redos, we're talking about work that you have access to. Either because you've obtained permission from the rights holder, which should be done in writing, if that is the case, or you are working with material that does not have copyright, which is then where it exists in the public domain. Plagiarism is when you take someone's work, their ideas, characters, plot, or other element of story and make it completely your own. That's not permissible and is punishable in a plethora of different ways, depending on the circumstances. Don't do it especially because there are hundreds of thousands of stories that have yet to be told. And I, for one, am so interested in the story that you have to tell. Okay, I hope this episode has been useful to you, and thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to go back, pause, or replay any part you want to hear again. If you really liked the episode, leave a review or share it with someone else you think would be interested to learn about Adaptations. If you're interested in telling us a story about your own writing experience, share your work with us, or you just want to say hi, you can send an email to writeturn at gmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-3-T-U-R-N at gmail.com. Or you can click the link in the description of this episode. If you'd like to engage with the community in other ways, you're welcome to subscribe to the newsletter at jordanmgriffin.com, which will tell you when new episodes come out. In addition, I have an Instagram, which will let you know when I upload videos. Link will be in the episode description with everything else. As always, I wish you all the best in your own writing. Have a great day. And if it's not a good one, I hope that the next one is better. See you next time.